0: I just want you to know that um, we attend a a church up in Waukegan, Illinois. It's predominantly African-American, so as you can imagine, there's a lot of uh, feedback, talk back, if you will, during the message, so feel free. In fact, just to kind of make me feel at home, would somebody just kind of shout out a hallelujah? hallelujah? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Just don't throw anything. If you're married, would you mind standing, please? Uh, one morning back in the fall of 2012, um, one of those times when, when God really um, is speaking, or maybe when I'm really listening, uh, he gave me a word uh, that I want to share with you this morning for all of you that are standing. He said this, he said, In the days ahead, there will be even a greater epidemic of broken marriages and families. That is where Satan is focusing his attack. Now, as I reflected on those words in the days following, God gave me an assignment. He said, you need to sound the shofar. That means to sound the alarm. You guys know the importance of that. To let his people know that the enemy was on the attack and preparing to increase his attempts to kill, steal, and destroy. And in an area that it would be the most devastating, that is in our homes, our marriages. So part of my purpose this morning is to sound the alarm. To let those of you who are standing know that Satan wants to destroy your marriage. Now, those of you who are seated, if you would mind standing as well, please. Because a couple of months later, after I heard those initial words, God gave me a second part to that message. And He said this He said, It is my desire, God's desire, and plan to bring revival to bring revival through the restoration of marriages and families. So our main purpose this morning is to tell all of you that God has a plan and that you are an integral part of it if you choose to be. And we want to share some insights to help you make that choice. But let's start this morning with God's Word and, and, and some prayer. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark 10. Um, if you have a, a phone or a iPad, turn to Mark 10 in your app, um, and the words then should be up on the screen as well. I'm going to read from Mark 10, verses 1 through 9. It says, Jesus went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, well, what did Moses command you? What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are amazing, and your love for us is beyond our understanding. And it is out of this love that you created the sacrament of marriage. In this room this morning, there are good relationships, there are broken relationships, there are even great relationships. For every one of those, Lord, you desire more. You created more. So Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, bring knowledge, bring wisdom, bring conviction, and bring revelation so that we may glorify your holy name and receive your reward, your joy as a result. Hallelujah. Amen. Go ahead and take your seat. Well, thanks to to Dave and Casey and the body of Connect Church for inviting us down here this morning, and congratulations, congratulations on what you guys have done. This is amazing. We are so impressed and so encouraged to be here. Um, And I just want to give all of you a challenge. Paul says in Ephesians, Apostle Paul says that encouragement attracts the favor of God. So when I encourage another, I attract the favor of God to them. And so I just challenge you to pray daily for Dave and the leadership team, for Dave and Casey, and encourage them often because you want to attract the favor of God to them. I want to also say thanks to Julie and the worship team. I'm not sure where they disperse, but, but King David tells us that, that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so it's so imperative when we come here to, to be in the presence of God that we have a worship team It can lead us into that, and they did a great job this morning, not just with their talent, but with their own spirit of worship, so thanks to them for that. For me personally, I'm excited to be here to partner with my wife, with Diane, as God uses us to speak to you this morning, Um, and I just want to say, you are all my witness, that she is just a tremendous gift to me in in all of my life, so I'm, I'm thankful to God for her. As Dave said, for the past four Sundays, you have been learning how to slay the giants that we all face in our everyday life. I think you talked about debt and doubt and loss and anxiety. And it's kind of interesting the way the schedule worked out because every one of those giants has an impact on our marriage, doesn't it? The pressure with financial struggles, the devastation of loss, our doubt of ourselves or each other, of the other, and the anxiety that arises from one of those can can be devastating to any relationship, whether it's, it's good or not, unless unless we have created and stand firm on the foundation of our Heavenly Father's promises. The verse from, from John 16, that defines this, this series says that here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. And I bet everyone in this room knows from experience that that is true. Clearly one of those is divorce. Divorce is devastating. I think statistically that greater than 50% will experience divorce in their relationship in some time during their life. And that's even true of of those in the church, those believers. And then if you think about the the ripple effect of that, when you look at our children, if you look at our in-laws, if you look at our friends, everyone, everyone in this room has or will be impacted by that giant of divorce. But Jesus said in the second part of that verse, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Can anyone attest to that this morning in your own lives? Well, even after 35 years of marriage, Diane and I are still learning how to walk out this thing called marriage. We have faced every one of those giants, uh, financial failure, the devastating loss of our son, the doubt of our son, of ourself or each other, and the anxiousness and the sorrow resulting from the many trials that the world has put upon us. Yet, we stand here this morning as a testimony to the amazing truth of God's love. We have survived. Our marriage has survived, and I would even say thrived, not because of our own ability, but Rather, because we stand on the foundation of the Word of God. Our title for the message this morning is Epic Marriage. Epic Marriage. Because we believe that Epic Marriage is what God created and desires for every one of us called to a marriage relationship. And we believe that if you strive for Epic Marriage, that that will drive a stake through the heart of what the world created, i.e. divorce. So we want to enhance and maybe totally change your vision of two becoming one. And we want to help you understand that the individual pieces must first be whole or moving in that direction in order for that to happen, and then give you some conviction, hope, and direction for the next step of your journey. Let's look at Jesus' word again. He said, from the beginning of creation, from the beginning, from the beginning, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. You see, marriage wasn't an afterthought for God creating man and then woman, but rather the creation of woman was done with the intent of marriage in mind, on purpose and for purpose. The creation of marriage was was God's first covenant relationship And he had specific thought in mind before he brought it into fruition. But think back. When you took that walk down the aisle, brides, or when you stood at the end of the aisle waiting for the bridegrooms, what was your vision of the journey ahead? And then how has it played out? Diane and I meet with many couples who are struggling with their relationship their journey hasn't followed that vision that they started out with. When they come in for the first time, we kind of lead them back to the room where we do couples counseling, and in that room there's a couch and there's two chairs, and we let them go in first, and then we kind of observe where they sit. Sometimes they will sit together on the couch. That's good. Sometimes they will sit, you know, at opposite ends of the couch. It's a pretty long couch, so they get as far apart as they can. That's not so good. Good. And sometimes they'll even sit in the two chairs, and then we know this is really going to be difficult. (laughs) And then I'll often ask a couple to start out with it, kind of diffuse the the tension and get them to stop thinking about how they're going to pummel the other person and go back to a time when things were happy, when things were joyful. And so I'll ask them to tell me about how they met or tell me about their wedding day. Well, I want to do that for a second with you guys for a couple of minutes, actually, this morning. I want to take you back to that time when there definitely was some joy in your relationship. And so, if you would, just, just close your eyes and kind of listen to the words of this song we're going to play and just kind of reflect back maybe on our first date or um, your wedding day um, or maybe your first dance together as husband and wife. So go ahead and play that song if you would.
1: such a person
0: I love you, I love you until the end, until the end:
1: faithfully
0: You know, Diane and my first dance as husband and wife didn't happen on our wedding day. We had a, a small, intimate ceremony and celebration. And I'm not even really sure when our actual first dance occurred, but we've had many, many wonderful dances since then. To celebrate our 35th anniversary, we, we, we went back to the town where it all started, and we bought a decorative sign to kind of, to kind of mark that time in one of, the, one of the shops there. The sign says, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's learning to dance in the rain. And we have learned to dance in the rain. If you hear um, nothing else from, from us this morning, hear that my greatest joy, my greatest experiences of joy in life that joy that goes to the depth of your soul what i call pure joy in every case in every case is directly or indirectly the result of my marriage to diane what's interesting is that two years ago our dance didn't look like it does today now it wasn't bad Um, in fact we had a really good marriage for 33 years um, through lots of great times and lots of struggles. But something, something happened a couple of years ago to change all that. Diane made a comment to me on three different occasions over a period of a few months. And that comment was, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. The first time I heard her say it, I, I got pretty defensive. After all, our marriage for 30-plus years had been, had been pretty good. In fact, we were even counseling and mentoring other couples. So I kind of took offense to what she said. The second time she said it, I began to actually think about what it was she was saying. And then when she said it the third time, I got it. I got it. She wasn't saying that she felt we were heading for divorce, but rather that we were not on the path to what God created and intended for our relationship. She was right. And the problem was that I had become content with a very good marriage well once I realized that my contentment was deception by the evil one and that there was more I began to seek a new revelation of what our marriage could be it was during that time that I realized God didn't create very good God didn't even create great God created epic he created epic And if we totally submitted to his vision and direction, epic marriage was attainable. Paul says in his letter to Timothy, his first letter, he says that everything created by God is good. And one of those things that God created that is good is the marriage relationships. Well, good doesn't seem to capture what the word epic does, and that's because of how we translate the original language into the English, English language. Um, the, the original Greek word for good is kalos, kalos. And the part of the definition that I think really speaks to this is it says it's properly beautiful. Properly beautiful. Is your marriage properly beautiful? To me, that sounds like epic. You know, we can all try to envision what a beautiful marriage looks like. Um, The problem is that our vision is limited by the box of our own thoughts and our own experiences. We have to take it out of that box, out of that limited vision, and look at it through the one who created it. For our marriage to be properly beautiful, we first need to understand God's purpose for creating marriage. There's really four parts of that. Let me hit them just real quickly. The first is contained in in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, where God proclaims that it is not good for man to be alone. Again, understand this was not an afterthought. In the prior chapter to this, God creates man, and it says then he gives them, it gives them dominion over the earth. So we know right there that something else was coming, somebody else. And then out of the man he creates woman, a suitable helper. It says a suitable helper. But she is a helper in a sense that she is required in order for him to fulfill his purpose and vice versa. Many of us have been led to believe that woman was created in order for the man to be loved and vice versa. Actually, it's the opposite that's true. See, each of us is created to love. Not to be loved, but to love. And woman is a perfect object of man's affection, as is he hers. So God created this perfect union in order for us to fulfill our purpose. And think about it this way. What brings you greater joy? When you give a gift or when you receive a gift? When you open a door for somebody or let them into traffic or when they do the same for you. Actually, if we are unbroken, are unbroken, our joy comes more when we give love. Don't get me wrong, we love being loved, but our joy is fulfilled, our purpose is fulfilled when we give love. The second purpose we all know is to be fruitful and multiply, training up our children in the way that they should go. Now, understand, they're not created for our happiness. That's called a pet. They're not created for our bidding, that's called a maid. But rather, they are created to live out their lives as children of the king and for his glory. And there's nothing selfish about that. Just as in the first purpose, where it is about our purpose to love, there is nothing selfish in that or in our raising of children. And we will receive, again, tremendous joy as a result of doing what God does shows us and tells us to do. Okay, a third reason is simply to bring forth his glory. Bring for, we were created to do that in everything that we do. The Apostle Paul, again, tells us very simply, very basically, that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or get married, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And there is nowhere that that is more true than in living out The marriage relationship when people see the joy that is in you from living out a properly beautiful marriage relationship they will be drawn to God and that is how we glorify him and then the fourth is this that God wants us to understand and learn how to love how to love and to be loved and to do it unconditionally And that draws us into greater intimacy with him. Maybe if you look at it this way. As I mature in my faith, I grow in intimacy with God. And I mature in my role as a husband. And as I mature as a husband, I grow in intimacy with my wife. And as I grow in intimacy with my wife... I grow in my faith. You see the circle that God uses, that that triangle of God and then each of you together. So God created Epic Marriage for the purpose of providing someone for us to love, to raise godly children, to teach us to love unconditionally, and to bring forth His glory. And that's the vision that we want you to hold on to this morning as you continue or begin Your marriage journey, a dance of joy, a dance of joy, where two become one, and their dance reflects God's properly beautiful creation. But know that even if we grasp that vision, our dance may still be one that is out of step, full of falls, as each partner dances to their own beat, and the two become one mess. And then the music changes from the song that you heard earlier to this song. You don't bring me flowers. You don't sing me love
1: songs.
0: You hardly talk to me anymore.
1: When I come through the door at the end of the day,
0: I remember when you couldn't wait to love me, used to hate to leave.
1: Good morning. I was just thinking as I was sitting behind Mike how trusting he is. I could have been making faces and doing all sorts of terrible things, and he just kept on talking. So, So it's good. So I'm going to continue with that verse, and to become one. What is your understanding of that? For some, it means I'm the one, and you need to become like me, so my spouse needs to change. When the change doesn't occur, fighting begins, resentment sets in, and the song changes from Forever Yours Faithfully to You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore. To watch a couple become so hardened and hateful is devastating. It hurts the soul to see the progression from self-pity to resentment to bitterness, to anger, to retaliation, to hatred, and then to divorce. And in that path, there are many lives destroyed and hearts broken. Often it is at this point that people will come for counseling, not because they want to save the marriage, but because they want to be able to say, well, we tried everything and it just didn't work. Each one wants a witness that will say, I was right and my spouse was wrong. They aren't very happy when I tell them, I don't believe either of you are wrong. I just believe you're very, very different. And if you could understand those differences and even embrace them and come to an agreement upon them, you can have a great marriage. With those that want to do the work, we often start with individual counseling. It's important to become self-aware and know your own identity before you can even begin to understand your spouse and accept the differences between the two of you. This morning, I would like to go over some of those differences. Perhaps you can relate to them in your own marriage. First, we have the biological difference between men and women. Now, God created men and women differently for a reason, but I think he was just trying to be funny most of the time. There are two books called For Men Only and For Women Only by Jeff and Chanti Feldman. And they do a great job of describing the difference between men and women. The authors surveyed many men and women to understand how we think, feel, and act. You may not relate to all of their findings, but I do highly recommend their books. Here's a clip to just give you an idea of of what we mean by the difference between men and women. It's just. I don't know what it is, and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them.
0: Yeah, I, That sounds... really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just... Don't!
1: Oh, that never gets old. Um... I had a woman once say to me, she said, I just want an aw, honey. And I said, what's an aw, honey? She said, you know, when your husband puts his arms around you and says, aw, honey, it's going to be okay. You know, nothing to fix, just aw, honey. Another good example of the differences in how we think. Shanti and Jeff use computer screens to help understand this difference. For a woman, they say there are multiple computer screens around us all the time, representing what we're thinking about. There are screens showing our relationships, our jobs, our kids, our home, what's for dinner, what we're gonna wear the next day, how much weight we wanna lose, and many other things. These screens stay open until there's some resolution or at least a plan of action. For men, there is one screen open at a time. They are able to focus on one thing and let everything else go. So it is difficult for a man to understand why a woman is always so stressed out and has so much to do And it's difficult for a woman to understand how a man can sit on the couch with nothing to do. (laughs) Without talking about this, we assume that we think alike and then blame each other for not being more sensitive. We have two daughters, Kate and Molly. And in the last 15 months, they both got married. God bless them. (laughs) So Molly, the seasoned wife of one year, and Kate, three months, um, were having a conversation this one day, and I got to listen. So Kate's telling Molly about the, the bike ride they took after work. They live in the city, and so they were riding their bikes towards the lake and just having a great time. But in her mind, she was thinking, well, when I get home, I need to make dinner, I need to throw in some laundry, I've got to get ready for work tomorrow, take a shower, wash my hair, all these things. So when they get home, she gets started right away. David sits on the couch because he's just reflecting on what a great bike ride we just had. Now he's not a lazy guy and he's not inconsiderate, he's a great guy. He just didn't know. So Molly says to her, well did you tell him about the computer screens? And Kate says, what are you talking about? So she tells her the story about men and the difference between men and women. And then Kate refers, re- relays that information to David, who now checks in with her and says, are there any screens open that I can help you with? <laughs> so it's a good thing. So, Another difference comes from our family of origin. What are our ethnic or cultural differences? Now these differences can be as severe as coming from a different country, or as simple as coming from a different neighborhood. I worked with a couple who had a pretty um, extreme difference. She was Hispanic and brought up in Mexico, and he was uh, Caucasian from a suburb of Chicago. He thought it was very disrespectful and got very upset with her because she was consistently late. But where she she came from, it was was acceptable, and it didn't matter what time you arrived. When they realized the difference came from their culture, and not because they just wanted to annoy each other, they were able to come to an agreement on how how to resolve this and what to do going forward. He no longer took it personally that she disrespected him, and she no longer thought he just wanted to complain. Even your beloved pastor, coming from a different country, (laughs) is different from his wife. Casey probably had to learn why he needed so much tea during the day. (laughs) Another difference comes from learned behaviors. And this is probably the hardest one I deal with, because we usually believe that what we learned through our experiences and what we've been taught is usually the right way to do things. I worked with a couple who had a difficult time resolving conflict. The husband learned that you don't discuss problems, you just get angry and then let it go. His wife was unhappy, who by the way was a trained counselor, um, because there were so many unfinished issues between them. They finally got to a point where they knew they needed help because the same issues just kept coming up over and over and over again. Kind of like the third time I said, we have a problem. so they came to counseling, and in counseling, the, the husband still wanted to just learn how to control his anger. He, just, he didn't want to go back and resolve those grievances from the past. And she just believed that they weren't going to be able to do this until they, they went back and healed what was going on from there. So through counseling, they were able to come to an agreement on how the couple would resolve conflict. And I hate to say it, but her idea worked best because there was so much resentment coming from past issues that they couldn't go forward until they went back and resolved those issues. Once he realized that, he was in agreement, and they, they did go forward, and, and were able to make a great marriage. And the fourth difference comes from the baggage we carry with us. This comes from treatments such as abandonment, betrayal, abuse, and other forms of trauma that affect our self-esteem and create an identity crisis. Types of trauma are often hidden because of shame, so we will come into a relationship unaware or unable to share who we truly are. It is usually through individual counseling, I know that's becoming a theme here, but through individual counseling that we're able to identify the wound and begin the healing process. If not healed, these wounds can be triggered by those we love. For example, someone who has abandonment issues is going to have a hard time trusting. They could be triggered by something as simple as your spouse coming home late from work. That could lead to to believing that an affair is going on, and the innocent spouse is blindsided by the accusation. The lack of trust is coming from the abandonment issue, the wound that was created probably years earlier, that has never been healed, and without help, this could result in divorce. So how do we deal with these differences? The first thing, as I said earlier, is self-awareness or intimacy with self. Know who you are. We believe that before you can even have a relationship with God, you have to know yourself. There is a book entitled The Gift of Being Yourself by David Brenner. In it, he quotes John Calvin, who said, there is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self. And no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. To have intimacy with yourself means to connect with all areas of who you are. As I said earlier, before we work with a couple, we usually recommend individual counseling. This helps the individual individual connect with themselves so that they understand how they think, feel, and act. If you can't work with a counselor, find a mentor or your pastor to work with. It is not easy work but it is very rewarding to fully understand how God created you and how the world has affected you. When we know ourselves, we can stop reacting in ways that are in conflict with what we believe. I often hear someone say, I don't even like who I am in this relationship. That's because they're working out of anger and fear instead of out of love, truth, and integrity. There's a line in the song that that you didn't hear in You Don't Bring Me Flowers that says, I learned how to love, and I learned how to lie. Has your relationship taught you things that you're not proud of? Can you take ownership for those things and make changes so that you can become healthy and whole? In our wholeness, we take down the walls that we have put up out of shame or fear and are able to pursue intimacy with God and see ourselves through his eyes. And that way, we can be in covenant with God. That's the first step. The second step is to study your spouse. This is done by communicating. The more you know about yourself, the more you are able to communicate who you are to your spouse. Take away the idea that one is wrong and learn to have empathy for each other. This is not to excuse bad behavior, but if you really believe you're doing everything you can to be healthy and whole, it is possible to have empathy and to forgive when there's a problem. Again, you may need help to learn how to do this. Just as you are able to pursue intimacy with God because of your wholeness, you will also be able to pursue intimacy with your spouse and see them through the eyes of God. This is the definition of two becoming one. No one is lost, but you each become your best self because of the union. Then we can be in covenant with each other. So now we have covenant with God, and we have covenant with each other. So think again about the idea of the two of you doing a dance together. Are you doing the same dance? Are you dancing to the same music? That may simply depend on whether you're living out your marriage as a covenant or a contract. And what does
0: that even mean? I'll turn it back to Mike. I know we're getting kind of late on time, so I'm going to run through part of this uh, very quickly. Um, but Diane mentioned the difference between covenant and contract. Um, covenant, I would say, is a dance of joy. Contract is a dance of death. If you think about a contract that you've entered into, you make an agreement whereby you and the other party mutually agree that if you do this for me, I will do that for you. And as long as you both fulfill your obligations, the contract stays intact until it's intended expiration. But think about what happens in the event that either one of the parties doesn't fulfill their end of the contract. Well, either the contract is broken or there's a penalty that has to be paid. In marriage, that penalty is called Bitterness um, can often lead to divorce, dissolution of trust, lack of intimacy, loss of hope, bitterness, and often all of the above. A covenant, on the other hand, looks like this, and this is quoted from a, bo- a blog that I found. It says A covenant relationship is when two parties mutually agree to enter into a relationship and seek out the other person's best interests. Regardless, of the personal cost and our sacrifice. So I promise to do this for you, and you promise to do this for me. And you know what? If one of us doesn't fulfill that obligation for whatever reason, I'm still going to do this for you. And there's a disclaimer I want to add that that's not true, obviously, and there's exceptions in the case of of abuse or or, uh, adultery. But a contract is self-focused, It doesn't live into God's plan and never attains epic proportions. A covenant marriage is unconditional. It's what God created, and when we live it out, it glorifies Him and brings us joy. It is epic. I'm going to throw a chart up on the screen real quick, and you can kind of begin to see the difference between covenant and contract. And you'll note that you could use this for a filter, to determine your behavior, your role in your marriage relationship, do I act out of trust or out of fear? Trust is covenant, fear is contract. Do I act out of truth or deceit, out of grace or shame? This is a big one. When we try to resolve conflict, am I trying to convince you that I am right or are we trying to come to a place of agreement? People often say, well, we need a compromise. No, compromise is lose-lose. We need to strive for agreement. And you need to know that God won't tell one of you one thing and the other one something different. So strive for agreement. If you think about back to your wedding day, did you enter into a contract or did you enter into a covenant? What was the promise that you were making? Um, If it was selfless with no escape clause then it was a three-part covenant. The first of that is each of you vowing to God that you agree that His plan is the best and that you will follow it. Then each of you vowing to each other that you will fulfill His plan with that specific person. And then the third then is God vowing with the two of you as one that you can now enter into His promise of great joy within this properly beautiful thing called marriage. Marriage. Again, here's the condensed version. I want you to really walk away with this today and use this. It says, if it's not good for the marriage, it's not good for you individually. If it's not good for the marriage, it's not good for you individually. Well, we've we've thrown a lot at you this morning, um, and you're probably now waiting for the five-step plan in terms of how to how to walk that out. And I'm going to tell you that it doesn't exist. Okay. Um, there are tools that we could give you, but, but the truth is that will only change your behavior, and what needs to happen is that you need to change your heart because behavior flows out of the heart. So I'm going to ask you kind of a challenging question this morning. How many of you want your marriage to grow to a new level? Go ahead and put your hand up. How many of you want... Now, don't, just, don't do it just because your spouse does it, but how many of you truly want your marriage to go to a new level? Then how many of you realize that in order for that to happen, something needs to change, right? How many of you realize that something needs to change? And then the third question is, how many of you will actually admit that that something includes you? It may not be just you, but it does include you. I realize that for my marriage with Diane to change, I, to, to get to epic proportions, I had to change. I had to change. That change is a, is a three-step process. It's, it's awareness, conviction, and refinement. The awareness came when I realized that there was something more, that we were headed for trouble. There's something more. But that doesn't just change things by itself. That's just awareness because if we don't go from awareness to conviction, then nothing happens. John Maxwell says this, people change when they hurt enough that they have to change, they learn enough that they want to change, or they receive enough that they are able to change. Awareness moves to conviction when we hurt enough, when we learn enough. And or receive enough, and I'm here to tell you that if you can avoid the hurt enough part of that, that that's going to save you and your spouse a lot of pain. The good thing is that when we get to that place of conviction, when we say, "Okay, God, do whatever you need to do," then the refinement comes, and the refinement is not up to us. The refinement is God's job. It says in Malachi chapter three, verse three that. God will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. God will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So we don't refine ourselves. We give him permission to do that and then trust that he will. Uh, I often say that refinement is simple, and it is, but it's not easy. It, it, it hurts. It often lasts too long, at least in our mind, but it leads to permanent change, and that's what we're after. The joy on the other end of refinement is amazing once you go through it a few times you realize that and then you will actually desire for God to put you on that refiner's fire so awareness conviction refinement that's true for all of us if we want to change if you had your hand up that's awareness okay now comes the conviction part are you really convicted that you want to change are you ready to say God Do whatever you need to do. We're going to do that in a second, give you a chance. Just first, real quickly, let you know that there's some resources uh, we left on the table in the back, a a list of the resources that we use, the books that we use. Um, That chart that we put up, Covenant Contract, is back there as well. There's actually a book back there um, that I wrote about um, my journey uh, from awareness to refinement. And it has a lot of the teachings in there about God's purpose um, and that's available for you for free. If you want to leave a donation, that's great as well. Um, find a great counselor, as Diane said, a mentor, a relationship coach. Use, use Dave and Casey. They're a great resource. I don't want to put a big burden on them, but that's part of their job as pastors, this body. So use them as well. All right, so back to that opportunity I want to give you right now. Um, if you would bow your heads... Uh, and close your eyes. I want to give you an opportunity to say to God this morning, do whatever you need to do. Don't make this decision lightly. Don't worry if your spouse is not here um, or if they're not ready uh, because changing your marriage often starts with just one changed heart. So I'm going to pray some words and I want you to pray them after me. You can do that either silently or... um, If you don't care how anybody knows, you can go ahead and and pray those quietly out loud. So, repeat this prayer after me Heavenly Father, you have a glorious plan for me, for my spouse, and for our marriage. I desire to live that out. I desire for us to live that out. Father, it is all about your glory. But your promise of great joy awaits us. Thank you. It starts with me, God. Change my heart. Refine me. I give you permission this morning to do whatever you need to do to form me into who you created me to be. And finally, God, I mark this day, August 10th, 2014, as the new beginning of our epic marriage. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.